All right, you guys can be seated. While you were praying, I was running around frantically looking for my notes. I thought I was going to be freewheeling it today, and you, you don't want me doing that. I just guarantee it. And when Brent, I, I, I can't help but say this, when Brent, the first time I heard Brent's tag to How Great that art, Thou Art, that's my favorite hymn. And so I was like, man, it's sacrilege. He just changed the song. You know, I grew up singing a song. But man, I mean, how great is it to be able to stand and just proclaim over and over the greatness and glory of God. It's a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing. And so um, I just, I, I appreciate it. In fact, I find now that as I sing that song in places where they don't put that tag on, I uh, I miss it. So I appreciate that. I appreciate how God is using you. Um, as we start today, we need to really just jump right in. Um, but before we can even get to the verses, we've got to set up some principles that keep us on the straight and narrow. And the reason is this. We've moved into the, a very practical portion of Galatians. And so as I preach, it's going to sound like I'm telling you, do this, do this, do this. You've got to do this. You should do this. These are things we should be. And yes, they are. But not on our own. You see, the, the crazy or the, the difficult thing is, is that these things that I'm going to talk to us about today and in the weeks to come, start really from where we began in Galatians 1, or Galatians 5.1. And that first principle, Jesus has set us free. He has set us free. Jesus did this work. It's not based on us. It's not because of us. It's not, it's not even through us, but rather He did this work in us. Freedom in Christ does not equate to us coming to a place where we now are, are our own God. But rather, freedom in Christ is, is a work that Jesus has done. He has changed our nature. He has changed our identity. He has made us. No longer are we slaves, but we are sons. No longer are we condemned and imprisoned, but we are free. That's the work that Jesus did that even makes the command that comes after it in, in chapter 5, verse 1, even valid. He says, Jesus has made you free, so stand firm and do not uh, allow yourself again to be yoked in slavery. Do not turn and, and give yourself back to slavery. You see, the idea of freedom in Christ is that Jesus has set us free and so now we are commanded to live that way. We are commanded to live as free people. But that command doesn't stand by itself. It starts in the very work of Jesus Christ in you. Freedom in Christ should now inform every aspect of our lives. Freedom in Christ should now inform every aspect of our lives. That means every decision that we make, even the way we make those decisions, even the, the ways that we process and make those decisions should be informed by this freedom in Christ, who we now are. Notice, I, I, and, and catch on to this, I'm, I'm talking about freedom in Christ, not simply as a position, but an identity. You see the difference? He's not just moved you from one place to another. He has made you someone else. And that, that nature, that, that newness of who we are, that freedom that we now are a free people, that, that, that work that He's done that makes us a free people, 
should now inhabit and inform and, and invade every area of our life. Not simply because we choose to, but because we have a new desire. Freedom in Christ reveals that our selfish religious efforts are powerless. Remember, circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't matter. All of the things that we can do to strive to impress God and all of the things that we can do to turn God away from us, it's not that they're not important in some aspect, but they give us no standing before God. They provide no no, no, no stronger or more suitable foundation for us to stand before God. This new identity, this new freedom that we have, this freedom in Christ, it reveals that even the best of things we do, we're never good enough. But that it required God to come into us and do a work that then would enable us to act. You see, freedom in Christ this new identity of freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ enables us to deny ourselves and follow Christ. So often we, we think this, that, that, that we're doing these good works to, to give them to God. And so much of the time we're doing these good works simply so that we look good to God. And then that, that just reveals that, that, you know what, you didn't do that for God. You did it for yourself. But this new identity, this new work that God has done in us, this change of who we are, it enables us to deny ourselves and follow Christ. That's what we've been dealing with all the way through this first, first few verses of chapter 5. These are principles that as I talk today and challenge you in, in, in making choices, in, in determining a path for your life, I'm not telling you to this to, to give you another law to follow. I'm going to encourage you to live in this way out of this new identity that God has given you. As he ended last week, as we ended last week in verse 6, he says that there's only one thing that matters. Faith being worked out through love. This is a new person alive. This is a person who has quit depending on themselves or thinking that they have the answers or that they can do it on their own and have placed their trust in someone else and received a new identity and then are able to act in a totally different way. Because nowhere in Scripture, in fact, Scripture would prove that we can't act in the kind of love that God called us to act in unless He first does a work in us to enable us to do it. We can't act in real love, in sacrificial acts of love, sacrificial efforts to, to really think about and be for someone else's best interest, no matter what the cost to ourselves. We can't be that person without first being changed and being made free in Christ. This isn't just simply a new position. This is a new identity. It is a new nature. And we must have those things in mind as we now pick up and, and keep going forward. And see, I think this idea, this idea is so difficult for us to learn. I think it's something that we have to hear over and over and over and over again. This is why it is so important. There's a book out called uh, uh, Note to Self. And it has, I mean, it, it's just a small little book, 48-day devotional kind of book. 
And the pastor that wrote it is just a humble dude. He's, there, there's really nothing super special about him except that when you spend time with him, you can see that God has done an amazing work in his life. And he wrote this book because as he struggled with this idea, he began to recognize that every day he needed to sit down and preach the gospel to himself. I think it's this, 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 what we're going to talk about today, this idea is so difficult for us to get because our very natures that we were, the people that we were, and now the flesh that we still carry in this new nature tells us that we can be our, we, we, we can do it. That we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. That we have the power within us, within ourselves. We live in a culture that we are inundated with influence that says you can be whatever you want to be. We are, we are surrounded by persuasions that say that you are on your own. And you can figure it out. You don't need anyone else. We are independent people who choose our own path and our own destiny. And we are the masters of our own lives. We are surrounded by this. So I think it's something that we have to hear again and again. Because we are surrounded by influences, by persuasions that challenge us, that tempt us to live in a lie. See, the truth is we are either going to be influenced by and for God or we are going to be influenced against God. There's only two teams. And we don't get to choose whether to play or not. We're players. We need to hear these things over and over again. We need to be reminded over and over again. And so today, today I hope, I hope that as you have those principles in your mind, as you have those persuasions of God's truth in your mind from what we've already studied, these are not, these points are not mine. Read back through Galatians, read, read back through, through what we've studied, through the gospel, through, through, um, the first, Two chapters as Paul talks about his freedom in Christ and about his calling and about his authority and where it's found. Read back through chapters 3 and 4 as he defends the idea that justification comes by faith alone and that there is no other way and what the, the impact of that is on a person's life. And as we've begun to deal with this very practical section of his letter, these things that he's talked about, this freedom that he's, that he's been building towards and now is beginning to express. I, I might have summarized them with different points to put on a screen for you, but these are God's points. These are his message. So today, I, I hope, as you have these things in your mind, as, you, as we move forward in this passage, that you will heed Paul's warning. To be persuaded only by God's truth. And then I'm going to challenge you to get up and persuade others with it as well. I don't think we were left here to be persuaded by truth outside of God. There is no truth outside of God. I don't think we were left here to be influenced and just have to struggle. I think we were left here 
to be influencers. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you listen to Paul's warning and really consider your own life and what you are allowing yourself to be influenced by and what you are allowing yourself to be persuaded by. If it's not by and for God, it's against God. Heed the warning. And then stand up and live in light of it. Let's just let's read the verses and you'll see where I'm coming from. Ephesians 5, we're going to pick it up in verse 7. We'll actually make it through about verse 12 today. He says, you, speaking to the Galatians, obviously. I mean, he's not talking directly to you. He could be. This is pretty, pretty applicable. He says, you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion is not from him. Who calls you? Now Paul comes to this place in, in he's already been talking to them about freedom. He's already been talking to them about this new identity and the implications of it. And now he comes to this place where he says, now think back, re- reflect on your circumstances. It's not the first time he's done this. It's actually the second time in the letter that he stopped and asked them questions to consider their circumstances and consider their experience. He stops again and he says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth of God? You see, in this, in this first little, in in this first verse, we begin to see that Paul had a perspective of these Galatians. He says, you're running well. You're living this Christian life well. You're doing well. You're, 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 you're pursuing Christ. You're living as you're called to live. I don't want you to think that these Galatians were perfect. Christian life is messy. It's difficult to figure out sometimes. It's difficult to live in at times. As the gospel deals, or, or as the gospel does its work in believers, the changes don't happen overnight. See, it's likely that these Galatians were probably still struggling with the things that they had struggled with even before they were believers, things that they didn't even realize they were struggling against. They came from a pagan background. There was mixtures of Jews and Galatians in this church. There was, there was a whole mess of different influences on these people's lives. And then Paul comes in and preaches the gospel. They've got this whole new perspective. They're, they're, they're brought up on top of a mountain where they can see over everything but these influences that they've grown up under. There's still baggage that they carry. You see, as the gospel does its work in a believer's life, the changes don't happen overnight. When Jesus saves us, we aren't immediately sanctified. And so we still deal with the baggage and the consequences of our lives in most cases. I'm not saying that there's not cases where God has removed things immediately and saved people from the consequences of their own stupid decisions. There's certainly examples of that. But just because a murderer is on death row and is saved by Jesus while he's there doesn't guarantee that Jesus is going to get the the death sentence commuted. He may still be killed for his breaking of the law. A man who commits adultery on his wife and ends up with a venereal disease doesn't automatically get healed physically simply because on the way to the hospital he meets someone who tells him about Jesus. 
And the truth is that she is going to end up dealing with the effects of his sin as well. You see, we still are stuck to live in this life and deal with the, the issues of this life. Overall, overall, don't, don't, don't mishear me. Overall, the circumstances of sin are done. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. There is nothing else to be accomplished. That sin is paid for, but we still live in a world where we feel the consequences of our sin. That's why Paul wrote that the wrath of God is being revealed against mankind because of their wickedness. Take heart, this is as close to God's wrath as a believer will ever be. But we still deal with it. We still feel it. We still carry the baggage of it. So don't get the idea that these Galatians were perfect. Don't get the idea that they had it all figured out. Paul, I think, is primarily, not, not that they didn't have a change of life, because the gospel had been preached to them. But I believe Paul was primarily speaking to the fact that they were running in pursuit of Christ alone for their salvation. Certainly, as they had heard the truth and they recognized the sin in their life and sought to live repentantly, certainly there were things that were put away. Certainly there was a change in life. Certainly there was a change in the way and the perspectives that they had. Certainly there was a change in their actions. But I think that really the thing that Paul was getting to was that their motives for these things were different than they'd ever been before or ever would be outside of Christ. You see, they were running well. I believe Paul was saying they were running well because their motive for now living in these new lives and in these new fashions was because they had been saved by Christ and they simply wanted to honor Him with their life. They weren't trying to measure up or trying to find acceptance before Him. They were simply trying to figure out what it meant to be a believer. And, and, and trying to look at their life and, and think about how they can offer it up to God without expecting or, or wanting anything in return because they know he's already given it to them. You see, I think, I believe that's what Paul is referring to as he says that they're running well. He says, you were running well. Then he talks about that these people were hindered from obeying the truth. You see, obeying the truth, what's the truth? The truth is that we are sinners depraved with absolutely nothing good in us. I know that's harsh. I know that that's hard to hear. And I know, I know that our, every fiber of our flesh fights against that perspective. But Romans 3, Paul proves it beyond a shadow of doubt that this has been the perspective since the very beginning. That there is nothing good in us. We are fallen, depraved people. That's the truth. The truth is, the truth is that God chose by His sovereign decree to save. Not based on our merit, but on His own good will. And out of His great love. And by His amazing grace. And because he is extremely merciful. You see, that's the truth. He didn't look at us and say, oh, they deserve me to act. He looked at us and said, they don't deserve me to act, but I'm going to because I love them. That's the truth. 
This is what they had been persuaded by. When Paul came in and preached to them, this is what had persuaded them. In fact, if you look in this verse, if you go back to the original language, the word obey in the Greek is most often translated as persuaded. You see, they had been so influenced by God's truth, by God's great love and His great grace and His great mercy. They had been so persuaded by His righteousness, His holiness, His perfection. They had been so persuaded that they moved their lives into obedience under Him. You see, the idea is is that they recognized that God was sovereign creator and that they were submissive creation. They had moved their lives into it. So that, that's why the context in the context you begin to see that they had become obedient to the truth. They were so persuaded by it that their lives changed because of it. See, Paul says you were running well, <clears throat> but they were hindered. They were hindered by some outside influence, by some outside persuasion. And you and I can relate to this. As believers in Jesus Christ, we know you, you, you can probably pinpoint times in your life when you can look, excuse me, you can look and you can see that you were running well. That you weren't working for God's acceptance. You weren't working for God's approval. That you weren't trying to impress God, but you were simply running in a way that you wanted to honor Him with your life. And then something happens. Maybe it's a person you meet. Maybe it's a circumstance of your life, something that is difficult to deal with. But whatever it is, invariably, when it happens, we move our gaze from our Savior to ourselves. And suddenly we're, we're, we're trying to justify, I don't deserve these kind of things. I, I shouldn't have to deal with this. This is, not, this is not what my works have done for me. This is not what God said He would give to me. Or we look around and we say, you know what, I, I've got to prove myself to that person. They've got to approve of me. They've got to like me. They've got to want to be my friend. They've got to do this. And so we begin to try and justify ourselves and try and build this image of ourselves before other people because we've lost our focus. And because of this thing that's hindered us, because of this thing that has gotten in our way and it's tripped us up, we have moved our gaze from our Creator and begun to think about ourselves. That's the outside persuasion. That's the, that's the outside influence that Paul's really speaking to. Of course, for the Galatians, for the Galatians, it was the Judaizers. They were running well. They were being influenced by the truth of God, obeying in it, living in it, shaping their lives in accordance with it. And these men came in and began to preach to them a lie. Oh, you shouldn't you shouldn't listen to to what Paul's saying, or maybe even you've misunderstood what Paul's saying. Paul was never saying it was Jesus alone. If you go back and you listen to Paul's teachings, I mean, surely you'll recognize. I mean, you know, they didn't have MP3s and podcasts back then, so it was a little more difficult. But you think about it today. Think about it today. 
if Paul had preached all of what he had preached as he was under the Jewish law, and then God had saved him, how many people would be mad at him and angry at him, but because before God saved him, he was a Jewish superstar? I mean, they'd be angry, but that stuff lives forever. Now, we have to be careful about the things that we say. But but here's the thing is that, that Paul comes in and he's preaching the gospel and they're saying, don't listen to him. Don't 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 hear what he's saying. I mean, he he used to preach the circumcision. He used to believe this, and 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 he must. You must just be under, misunderstanding. He 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 wants you to know about Jesus. But you need to do this. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow this law. And you see what happened was these men were persuasive. They were the worst kind of bad influences because they believed what they were saying. See, I don't think that the Judaizers came into Galatia thinking we are going to come in and we are going to mess up Paul's work just because we don't like Paul. I think they were going into Galatia to preach their gospel, their false gospel, because they believed their false gospel. You see, I think they would have died for their false gospel just as Paul would have died for the truth. So they come in and they are persuasive and it sure sounds like they know what they're talking about. It sure sounds like they've got it figured out. It certainly sounds as if this is the truth. And suddenly, these Galatians who have been running well, who have been focusing on their Savior, drop their gaze and then begin to focus on these men. You see, the decisions that they were about to make, they didn't end up going through, I don't think they ended up going through this. They hadn't been circumcised yet. Paul writes about the circumcision coming in a future sense, so he's warning them not to be circumcised. But they drop their gaze, and they begin to focus on what these men are saying. And they're influenced by this flesh that we carry around that, that tells us you can be good enough. You can measure up. You can make it. And they begin to make decisions based on these people's perspectives. You see, really, what this perspective, what these decisions were going to be based on was fear. <clears throat> fear that God couldn't, that, that, that God couldn't accept them based just on Jesus. Fear that Paul might have got it wrong. Fear. They had to be good enough. Fear that these people might not like them, that they might not be accepted or approved by these people who are standing before them preaching so persuasively this gospel, this false gospel. You see, when these circumstances in life, when these people enter our life, these different persuasions, they, they pour over us. We live in, a, in, a, in an age where we see more information in an hour than many people have seen their whole lives. We get more information thrust at us from every direction. When you're driving down the road and you're seeing billboards to the point where you're sitting in your living room watching television, there's constantly information flowing across us. And we have these persuasions, these influences. And if we don't watch out, we will begin to make decisions out of fear. Because it just sounds too good to be true. 
that God will accept you just as you are and not hold any of your depravity and the dirtiness and filthiness of your life against you. It sounds too good to be true. This is the one thing I will tell you. This is the only message that will never be too good to be true. Because it's a promise not made by men, but a promise empowered by the very God who created the world. You see, we don't have to be afraid. Because if He is for us, who can stand against us? He said, if He's doing this work, who is there to stand and condemn us when God says you're forgiven? When He says you are free, who is to say that we are imprisoned? When He says you're my son, who is to say that you are not? You see, God has done this work. But don't mistake it. Don't mistake it that now you can just sit as bumps on a log and do nothing He's talking about this, gives us this implication, this idea of these people running. Running well because now they've been so persuaded by the truth of God that they are obeying the truth of God and living submissive to the commands of God. Living in a way that, that demonstrates all the fruit of God's work in their life for the world to see. Paul had come to them with the truth of God. He had come to them with the gospel. They had believed it. They had trusted in Jesus Christ. And they had begun to live in light of that truth. And then someone comes along and hinders them. This outside persuasion, this outside influence. The Galatians had begun to obey the truth because they've been so persuaded by the truth. This, listen, listen, hear this. This is why it is so imperative that we unplug from the world, plug into Him. At times, we've got to shut off those influences. We've got to sit before Him in His Word. Seth, I, I don't understand the Bible. I, I can't comprehend the Bible. I, I don't get what he's saying. I had no idea when I was 27 years old as a young Christian, as a baby Christian. I'd been a baby Christian for about six years. I had no idea that I had any, any ability to understand the Bible. I had never in my whole life up until I was about nine years old, eight or nine years old, I can't remember exactly what, I had been raised by a preacher but had never in my own life sat down to read the Bible. And I sat down and I began to read from it for the first time. I was 20, 27 years old. I began to read through the New Testament. And I began to see God's Word open up to me and speak to me. And, and what I began to realize is, if, if I can sit here and say that there is no way that I can be influenced by the truth of God, by His Word, then I must be the one person that His Holy Spirit can't speak to. I am so far gone that not even the Spirit of God can lead me into truth. There's none of us that are too far gone. I'm telling you, 
If God can speak to me, He can speak to you. I am dense. Every lesson I've learned in my life, I have learned at the end of a two-by-four. Hit me square in the face because I was too stubborn to realize it myself. I'm telling you, I am not that smart. If I can hear from the Spirit of God through His Word, you can hear through the Spirit of God through His Word. You can be influenced by His truth. And let me encourage you this as well. Well, there are disadvantages to being recorded in all of your words standing forever out in some virtual world. There are plenty of good resources that will help you and teach you to understand the Word of God. And they are freely available. Freely available. I listen every week. I listen to sermons from, from different guys. I, I, don't, I don't prepare my messages from them, but I listen to them because they speak to me. From men who are in front of me on their walk in Christ. Because I don't want to be running a race that's not worth running. But I believe this race is worth it. See, they had begun to obey the truth because they had been so persuaded by the truth. And that, that is then why Paul begins to talk about this, this level of confidence. This level of confidence that he has. And go, go, go back to the Scripture. He says in verse 9, I'm sorry, in verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord. She will take no other view. See, this confidence, this, this view that Paul had, this, this level of confidence was because he is confident in God to do what God said he's going to do. And I, I'm calling you to this. I'm encouraging you to this place where you unplug from the world and you do everything you can to limit its influence in your life and be influenced by the truth of God. Because when you allow the truth of God to influence you, it will persuade you to the point that you're obeying and you're living. As children of God, this is food to us. It's the breath we breathe. We need this. And here's the warning. Here's the warning. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It doesn't take a lot to cause you to change your focus. Just like a little bit of yeast will affect a whole loaf of bread, a little bit of the world can affect a whole lot of you. Paul's concern for these Galatians and the warning he's giving them is to be careful about what we allow to persuade us. About what we allow to influence us. About what we allow to, to cause us to move in action. I mean, consider it. Consider it in, 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 in terms of the Bible. Let's just talk about in terms of the Bible. Consider this. We live in a culture. We, we live in a world that says, hey, the Bible's a good book. But I don't really believe it's God's Word. We can learn from it. But I don't, I don't, I don't believe it's really any different than the Quran 
or the writings of Buddha. We live in a world that wants us to believe that. Are we going to allow that to influence us? You see, I've got friends that say, in fact, I've sat and talked, I've got one dear friend that I've talked with over and over and over that loves the stories of Jesus but can't stand the God of the Old Testament. <laughs> it's the same God. How, 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 how can you, as smart as you are, how can you think that you can separate these two? It's foolishness to me. The Bible either is going to stand as a whole or it falls as a whole. They've been so influenced by the culture and by the world that they live in that they can't see this truth. It's a good book. It's probably not all true. Hmm. Are we going to allow that to influence us? Here's my fear. Maybe it's not ideas like that. But similar ideas that have influenced us to, 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 to think that we can't sit down and hear God speak to us in His Word. And see, I think that we have listened to a lie that's more fun to watch TV than it is to hear from God speak in His Word. Certainly, there's a time where it's going to take discipline and effort. But I can tell you that you won't be having fun watching TV in hell. You see, and I'm not trying to condemn you. Don't hear me saying that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, what, what, I, what I'm trying to say is this, that if our world is our only influence, then it may be that we have never been made new by God. And that's a scary thing. If we were never running well, we might be playing for the other team. And see, some of these influences don't come just in the culture we hear from about our religion, about our faith, about the things we believe. Some of them come from people that we're close to. Some of, them, some of these influences in our life are dear friends, people that we, that we know well. And they encourage us to live in ways that God wouldn't, wouldn't be honored by. They encourage us to, to depend on ourselves. It may even be as bold as a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness showing up on your door and trying to prove to you that you are wrong about God's Son. Don't allow yourselves to be influenced by these things. We need to keep running well. It may be that some of us are distracted by our pop culture. See, it may be that, that we are so caught up in what's going on in movies and television and, 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 and the lives of stars and the, and, and the things that are going on in our political race. And, our, and it may be that we are so caught up in that and so influenced by that that we can no longer be influenced by God. Personally, I, I, I've shared this with you guys before. I struggled with Netflix. I know it sounds silly to say I struggled with Netflix. I really did, though. Those shows are just right there. And, you know, they write these shows so that you want to watch the next one. I mean, that's how they sell commercials, right? So that you keep wanting to watch. 
Well, they leave you at a point where, oh, man, i got to know what happened. I can't wait. It's just so easy to click that mouse and boom, that next show's going. And now I know, oh, gosh, there's another cliffhanger in me. Better watch that one, too. Well, hours would be gone. Hours would be gone. And whether I recognized it at first or not, I began be, to be influenced by the opinions of the people that were writing these shows. Do you recognize that they have an agenda? They really do. These people have messages that they want to present. The sermons of our pop culture, the, 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 um, the pastors of our pop culture, the preachers of our pop culture are our movie writers and television writers. They have a message. Some of them are good. Some of them, many of them aren't. We need to recognize that. Some of us are distracted by our work. We think that our work is the very reason that we exist. We think that our work is the very source of our identity. We think that our work gives us purpose in life. And don't misunderstand. God has always intended you to work. You'll work in heaven. You would have worked if Adam and Eve hadn't fallen. God gave them a job to do. Go, rule over the earth, subdue it, tend to it, take care of it. We might have all been farmers. I don't know. I'm not sure how it would have worked out. But we're going to work. We're always going to work. God's going to give us a job to do. But it will never be the source of our identity. It will never be the power of our life. And honestly, if we act as it is an object of worship, its influence distracts us from the beauty and glory of God. Some of us are distracted by noble things like our own good works, our families, our acts of compassion and missional efforts. I'm not asking you not to be good parents and good husbands and good wives. But I'm telling you, they're nothing to be worshipped. God's got to be first. Your good works by themselves and lived out of your own flesh are not good works. Simply point out that we are desperately in need of a Savior. See, don't let yourselves be distracted. Heed Paul's warning. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Oh God, I... I really, I really appreciate your grace, but I want to offer you this one good work. I think this proves to you that I, I, I'm worth it. I, I finally, I, I think I've done something that, that's worthy of you. If it came out of your flesh and is given because you're trying to prove yourself, it's not worthy of God. The only thing that matters is faith working itself out through love. Heed Paul's warning. <clears throat> But he doesn't stop. He gives us a clue to kind of help us work it out. Uh, he has some pretty harsh words too. But he gives us a clue to kind of help us work it out. He shows us some confidence. He shows us that, that there's a reason to still hope. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. 
First, he says he's confident that these Galatians will hear and agree with him. He's not confident that the Galatians have it figured out. He's confident that the God who saved them will help them figure it out. And he's confident that the grace of God is even bigger than the foolishness of the Galatians. And he's confident that the grace of God and his mercy and his righteousness and his purity is what paid for the Galatians. You see, he's confident in the Lord. He's not confident in the Galatians. He's confident in the Lord. The work that the Lord began in you, the the, the Lord will bring to completion. That was his phrase in the way he said it to the Philippians. He's confident that those who know the truth will return to the truth. He's confident in the Lord that they will agree with him, that when they will hear the truth, they will return to it. But he's also confident that the one who's distracted them is going to get what he deserves. Those are words that I don't want written about me. In the beginning of the letter, he said he talked about he talked about people preaching a false gospel and let them be accursed, saying, "I wish they'd go to hell right now." That was what it, that was the language. It was the strongest curse that he could have laid down. It was the strongest words he could have used in that. And I think this refers back to that they are going to get what they deserve. And this scares me. Not for myself. I, I really believe, I really believe I'm in a place where I'm striving to run well. That, that I am obedient to the truth and I'm coming to you, I believe, with a message that's not going to be popular, but is God's truth. But it scares me for people I know. You see, just recently I faced something that was extremely distracting. I received a still fresh hurts i received a personal attack that was so filled with malice and then the words were so venomous as as this person just berated me it was as if as if he chose his words to do everything he could convince me that i was a piece of trash and it hurt But as I sat and listened, and I heard in one ear these hurtful, piercing words, I heard these words in my heart You're imperfect. And you have mistakes. But I love you. Not because of who you are, but because of who my son is. I'm serious. That that thought. It settled on me. You don't have to live up to his expectations because I am making you who I want you to be. That gave me a sense of peace even as I'm being beaten down. You don't have to live for his approval because I have approved you. 
And so as I'm sitting here, as I'm not here, but as I'm sitting and being attacked in this horrific way, in a way that I have never experienced in my life. And I've had some people say some pretty bad things about me, and I have been beaten up physically, but this has never, I have never experienced anything like this. This was just about two weeks ago. My initial reaction was to begin to be defensive and these words and these thoughts rose up out of my heart. And I realized I'm scared for this man. Because he is so lost and broken that he has no hope. And I began to pray imprecatory prayers. I don't know if you've heard of those. Read the Psalms. There's imprecatory prayers all over the place where where David prays for his enemy to be vanquished and God to be glorified, where his enemy to be crushed and God's glory to, to shine. And it's not that I want this person destroyed and sent to hell forever. I began to pray imprecatory prayers against him in my mind. God, crush him that he might know you. Do what it takes to humble him, no matter what the cost to his circumstances in life. And I didn't do that because I wanted to get even. I did that because I care so much about this person who is attacking me. But it would have been very easy to listen to these words and be distracted, to be persuaded. Hear Paul's warning. Don't be distracted. Run well. Continue running well. His confidence is in the Lord because the Lord is all-powerful and He is almighty. And he has some strong words for the people. He says, he's, he says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In the case, the offense of the cross, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those, I wish those, <laughs> that's crazy, who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. You see, as Paul acts here, it's not wrong to be angry. In fact, Ephesians says, be angry and just don't let it cause you to sin. Paul's not angry because he's being attacked, though. Paul's using these strong words because the people he cares so much about are being attacked. And they're being unsettled and they're being misled and they're being tripped up. Hear his warning. There are plenty of things out there to influence you to go the wrong way. If you have to limit yourself from them, limit yourself from them. If that means turning off things like Netflix or cable or Internet, whatever it is, limit yourself that you might be influenced by the beauty and power and, and majesty of the God who, who loved you enough to save you. Submit to these things and walk in light of them. Hear his warning. These influences are all around you. And here is clue. He says, if I still preach circumcision, then that's basically removing the offense of the cross. Here's the clue for you. And I want you to think about the influences and the persuasions that are in your life. If they remove the offense 
of the cross, they shrink the glory of the God who established it. Every influence in your life will influence you in one of two ways. There's two teams, and you can't opt out. It's going to influence you for God or influence you against God. Well, how do I know, Seth? How do I know? How do I know whether I should allow that to influence me or not? Does it remove the offense of the cross? And the cross is a harsh truth. It exists because we are sinful. We don't want to hear that. But it's also a beautiful truth because it proves the love of God He has for His people. But if there's any influence in your life, whether it's a person, maybe it's a professor at school, maybe it's a teacher of some sort, maybe, maybe you need to measure me against this. Maybe you need to measure your boss against this. Maybe you need to measure your work against this. Maybe you need to measure the pop culture that you allow yourself to be influenced by against this. If it shrinks the beauty, or if it shrinks the offense of the cross, it shrinks the glory of the God who established it. And you can know immediately. You can know without a doubt that it's not from God. You see, Paul was talking to these Galatians about circumcision. If I was still telling you to be circumcised, then it shrinks, then it removes the offense from the cross. Because if you can be good enough to get to God, why did God need to kill his son? The offense of the cross says you can't be. But God did it. Hear Paul's warning. Be persuaded by God's truth. Watch what you allow to influence your walk. Run well. Let's pray. Father, as I have thought about these words and I've thought about the, the conviction, the issues that I've dealt with in my own life, the heaviness of this idea, this offense of the cross. Oh, Father, I, I feel it. God, I just pray that in this moment, You'll remind us that these words aren't meant to condemn, but to warn, to call believers who have a choice, who have a real opportunity to follow you well. I pray, God, that you will just call us to that. I pray that you would help us to, to recognize the different influences that, that remove the offense of the cross and that we would uh, no longer allow ourselves to be influenced by those. I, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will point to things in our lives that have influenced us wrongly and that we need to, that we need to run from, that we need to turn from, that we need to get rid of, that we might be persuaded and influenced by your truth pray. I pray that if there's people here today that have thought that they could be good enough for you, that they have heard that they can't, God, I pray that your spirit would impress upon them to come to a place where they trust in your son alone for salvation. Father, I just pray that you would work in us, that you would move us and motivate us.
to run well. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.